everyone, Jamie Harris here, and as you can see, I have a guest. Uh, his name is Dylan Duran. Dylan serves as the president and chair of our board at Satellite Gaming. He was part of the founding team, and he has contributed a lot to how we build our events at Satellite Gaming and has added some, uh, some creative elements of his own. So today, as we tackle this topic of uh, events and more of the logistical operations side. I, I want you to keep this in mind. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about a lot of the details, the nitty gritty. Um, it's not going to be a whole lot of feels, you know. Uh, if you want to get that, I would encourage you to listen to the keynote message about a purpose-driven event. But without further ado, I want to jump into this and I want Dylan to introduce himself to us. Tell us, uh, I already kind of said who you are, but who are you and why are you here? Why are you hanging out with me today, Dylan? Yeah. Hey, so I'm Dylan and I, uh, helped create satellite gaming with Jamie, uh, and provided, I think what Jamie's referring to is the, um, inspiration for the uh, educational aspects that we do with satellite gaming. So, um, yeah, that was my idea. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. It, I, yeah. I love it. I think it adds a lot to uh, our purpose. It demonstrates our purpose very, very clearly at our events. So uh, before we get into how we do our events now, I think a little history lesson would be uh, would be proper. So I've shared with a bunch of people from LTN what my perspective of our first event was. Uh, our first just kind of very, very like seed planting idea event. So why don't you go ahead and share Dylan from your perspective where we were when we very first started? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a, a youth event as part of our youth group. And we um, just kind of encouraged kids to bring their friends um, for a video game hangout night. And it was a little bit bigger than we anticipated. Yeah. So <laughs> from the, from the next one, like, cause that's the thing is like, which, what is the first event that we did? You could define yeah. it a bunch of different ways. So I would say the first like satellite gaming event was probably the second event really. Cause we started kind right. of trying to make it a more like, like we're like, Oh, let's do it again and make it more tournament focused and put more yeah. education. And do a lot more work. So, <laughs> and do a lot more work. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, it was, it was just kind of wild. We just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, those are the events we're going to talk about today, Dylan, is the, the stuff that really brought in the educational aspect that you, you mentioned that you kind of uh, created from the beginning. And then we're going to talk about some tournament stuff. But the biggest thing that we're going to do is help you understand what creating an event at Satellite Gaming really revolves around. And that's three things. Everything we decide at Satellite Gaming as an event, we think about three um, resources or aspects that it is going to affect. That is this, that is the equipment, the volunteers, and the budget. When you choose a game, it is going to affect the equipment you need for that game. It is going to affect how many volunteers you need to run that tournament or that free play area. And it's going to affect the budget because you might need to buy the equipment or purchase prizes for the said tournaments. So as we talk about these different topics, Every time we bring up a topic, we're going to revisit how does said topic affect or said decision affect our equipment, volunteers, and budget. There's a lot to cover. So if it seems like we're going quickly, Dylan and I talk about this stuff a lot. We've actually talked about this exact same topic quite a bit. And uh, we're here to kind of get it in a video format and just help you understand very, very clearly what it is that we try to accomplish and why we think it's important. 
So in order to establish these three things, the equipment, the volunteers, and the budget, we think the very first question you need to ask yourself and that we ask ourselves at Satellite Gaming is, what is this event going to be? Is it going to be an event where people participate? So they play in the tournament, they play the actual games, maybe they create something. Are they participating in whatever avenue you choose, whether it's uh, board games, video games, etc.? Are they going to be spectating? So are they going to be watching someone else showcase their talents? Are they going to be watching a video? Are they going to be watching something? Or are they going to be educated? Is this going to be something that is education or are we doing all of them? And satellite gaming is at a point where most of our in-person events uh, have some sort of, um, include some of, all three of these in, in some way, shape, or form. So when we, when we look at this, uh, what Dylan was saying was that he brought in the educational aspect. When we look at this um, participation, spectating, educational, that's really up to you to decide what you want to do. But remember, whatever you choose is going to influence your equipment, volunteers, and budget. The first thing we look at, assuming we're going down the satellite gaming route, which includes all three of these, is what game or games are we going to have at this event? So very specifically, what are you featuring? If it's an anime event, are you featuring drawing anime? Are you featuring watching anime, talking about anime? For us, it's video games. So we have a list here of easy games, to run tournaments for, moderate games to run tournaments for, and difficult games to run tournaments for. Dylan and I are going to run through this list. I'm going to let Dylan take over here, but um, go ahead and share with us kind of uh, break down what we mean by an easy game to run or a difficult game to run and give us some examples if you want, Dylan. Yeah. So an easy game to run is basically anything that minimizes the amount of players you're going to have on a console. Uh, mm. So I think that's like the easiest way to break it down. Um, so speed running is easy because it's one person on a console just doing it as quick as they can. There's really no logistics to it. You just see how fast they do it and that's it. Um, and then next would be like sports games or racing games or fighting games, things that are like one-on-one um type mm. games or or a very you know even as low as few as four i think could be considered fairly easy because the logistics of figuring out how that works pretty simple you know there's like four simple people brackets. on one rocket league yeah. screen yeah 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 all oh, that's pretty easy um you know so uh, yeah racing uh, even something that's more like uh self-counted i would say like uh if you do have a shooter um something that's like pretty simple because the game determines who wins so like if it's a split yeah. screen halo or call of duty or something even that can be done pretty easily uh in yeah. a, like a bracket tournament style that's cool with teams or individuals there's a lot of different options mm -hmm. now uh the difficult tier what we have under difficult tier is is pretty much like massive multiplayer games. Give us an example of what one of those would be and um, maybe why you think it would be difficult to run one of those <laughs> or one of the many yeah. reasons, I suppose. Well, <laughs> so I think I'll start off with um, the games that are basically focused on PC because PCs are just a lot more complicated to figure and those games are typically involving much larger teams so like league of legends or overwatch are like five to six players per team so just organizing that many people 
uh, in a single game just makes the um, process more difficult. And then, <laughs> so that's like the small scale of the big scale. The big scale of the big scale is is battle royale games like Fortnite or Apex Legends. That like the most popular have, games right now. <laughs> yeah, the biggest games uh, are going to have just some more logistical issues to to think about. Uh, in that you've got to figure out how do we get as many players in at a time, and then how do we make a scoring system that's fair right because yeah. you can't just go like well this person beat this person so they win because it's not like that they you know it's a hundred people all on a map and whoever you know stays alive is the winner but um they're not playing only with people in the room right so the yeah. factors outside of the room impact how you need to score that which is i think what makes it the most difficult yeah definitely i i agree and it's it's you can get a custom matchmaking key for Fortnite, but when you think about those three elements we were talking about, doing the equipment, volunteers, and budget. I mean, a, a lot of times when you need more equipment, it means you need more budget, or it means you need volunteers with the said equipment. So every decision we make affects equipment, volunteers, and budget. Um, when we pick a simple game to run, any speed run, we did one, we had a Sega Genesis, we had somebody write down everyone's uh, fastest time for the first level. Like I've done it with uh, last year at the LTN button mash invitational, the LTN con button mash invitational. We did um, a certain level of F zero on SNES with a Nintendo switch. We had a couple of them set up and people just walked by played. that required one like volunteer or one tournament official. That was me that required two Nintendo switches. We could have done it with one. It was very simple. And as far as the budget, it was like, well, our volunteer, me, had a switch, so like I didn't need to borrow it, right? So, so we had everything we needed to do uh, to run a very simple speed run tournament or competition with very little equipment, very little volunteers, very little budget. You get into Fortnite, you're talking, are you going to have the middle school kid bring his $2,000 gaming PC? Well, students, we don't really want them bringing their gaming PCs, right? Because that's like, what if it breaks? Who's responsible for that? But me as an adult, I only want to play on my gaming machine, right? Like I, I've got to have my peripherals. Like I, I have to. So um, depending on who your audience is, what that includes, I know of tournaments where it's all BYOG, bring your own gear. That works in a lot of cases, but then you're going to have to have a venue that's big enough. And I mean, I, you know, sure, it cuts down the equipment and maybe the cost for equipment, but like you, every, every time you make a decision, again, think about how it affects that equipment, volunteers, and budget. And what we're saying is choosing a game, I think is going to be the first step in creating a successful gaming event. Now, um, I wanna talk about this for a second. Each game has its own rules. Uh, Dylan, we've done a lot of Smash Bros tournaments and you and I both play Smash Bros. We play uh, in different ways and to different degrees. You've played a lot online. Um, you've played a lot with our students. I've played a lot with our students. Uh, neither one of us have competed in a whole lot of tournaments, really, if any at all, but we've seen a lot of tournaments. Would you agree that like, if you're going to do a Smash Bros tournament, you're probably going to attract somebody that is like way into it, right? Like people hear that. Oh, it's yeah. like, if people place in Smash tournaments, they're like sniffing around for them constantly. So if you do a Smash Bros tournament, 
it is so, would you agree that it is so imperative that you follow the tournament standard rules? Like, you know how long each match is going to be. You know what levels are are legal stages. You know how like a banning phase works, if there is a banning phase, you know, all of those things. Like, what would you say would um, would be the detriment to not following those rules? And this, this is where we get into the topic of uh, inclusiveness or legitimacy, right? Because we want it to be legitimate. We want it to be inclusive. Someone doesn't know tournament rules. Someone else really knows tournament rules. One person doesn't care one person really cares there's this balance of how do we how do we like make it so people can get in, be involved without knowing how tournaments work but also how do we keep it legitimate um there, there are a lot of there's a lot of things we're going to talk about in regards to this inclusiveness versus legitimacy but this is where we're going to start so we're yeah smart. so i think just looking at um that kind of thing is uh is the if if a player feels like the rules aren't fair um, you're going to want to have something to point to, to say, well, these are the rules we were operating off of mm. so that even if they want to complain that it's not fair, you can at least stand by something and say like, well, we said these would be the rules here. They are, we posted them here. So you agreed to that when you started without that people are going to be able to, you know, say, Oh, well, this wasn't fair because of this, but then another person like, well, no, I thought it was fair. You know, it can go back and forth. And what's great about this. And what I think people should, um, you know, feel some, uh, ease about is that you don't have to figure it out yourself. Um, for mm. pretty much every game out there, there's some sort of tournament standard rules that you can just borrow and point to and say, well, we're following worth the these time, rules right? that, that, yeah, that have already been created. So, you know, they're standard over here. These are what, are, what, are, what we're going to run by from here on out. So what I hear you saying is, um, in talking about balancing inclusiveness and legitimacy, one of the most important things is just clear expectations. Like clear, when you register, if when I'm registering for an event, I know that I have to be wearing a red shirt in order to go to that event. If I don't have a red shirt and I say I want to go, before that event starts, I need to buy a red shirt so I can wear it, right? That's a silly rule. But that's just to say like, here, this is what we're asking. This is what you're signing up for. Do that. Um, so I, I want to keep going down this trail because when we talk about inclusiveness and legitimacy, we're going to address some more things that bring up uh, some more things that affect our equipment, volunteers, and budget, our, our three core resources. So that being said, the first one um, that I would say in regards to inclusiveness and legitimacy is looking at a door fee, right? So we've established what tournament we're going to do. We're going to do Smash Bros. We're going to do uh, tournament standard rules. We're going to go forward with that game. Now we ask ourselves, how do we make this legitimate but inclusive? Do we have a door fee? How many people can participate in our tournaments? Is there a cutoff? Is there a cutoff date? Is there a cutoff number? This is looking at registration process. Like if I'm registering for an event, but I'm late, well, do you make room for me and let me jump in? Talk about how registration can affect this inclusiveness and legitimacy. Yeah, so um, one of the things that we found was successful over time was uh, encouraging registration early so that we know how many um, players we're going to be expecting so we can help prepare budget and borrowed consoles or how many consoles we're going to need to have or how many volunteers we're going to need to have. Um, and with that, it lets us, you know, um, better set up the rules and prepare for um, the players to uh, just ensure a better experience all around. And so what we've done is because we try to um, 
have a real low barrier to entry. You know, our, our events are typically like five bucks in to get in the door. Um, and that's how it was. It was everyone paid five bucks. And then we started to realize, okay, well, we need to do registrations. So we tried to encourage early registration, pre-registration, right? Like get it done early. (laughs) Right. Like, yeah, a week before or earlier if you could. Um, but, uh, (laughs) we found that without incentivizing that there was no reason for a kid to just do that early rather than just show up at the door. So then our, our early benefit really of like counts and logistics and figuring stuff out really wasn't there. We didn't get a lot of benefit from the pre-registration. So we wanted to incentivize it. So it's very simple. If you can only afford the $5, you better pre-register because it's $5 for pre-registry. If you're late, the the penalty for that is another $5 and you pay $10 at the door. Yeah. Um, And why do we ask for that? Why is it so important they pre-register? It's, it's really about making sure we have the right amount of stuff and like preparation, right amount of volunteers, right amount of equipment, right? Everything affects these things. On top of that, we also need to make sure that we have the right uh, amount of players because you can't just have an infinite amount of players because you've got to set brackets at the right size. You've got to plan for how long the event can be or should be. And if it can't be any longer than a certain amount of time, that might mean that you have to restrict the amount of players. So you set up early registration to ensure that you have room for the people who are registering. Yeah. That's awesome. I Thanks for sharing that. I think that it's pretty concise. It's pretty straightforward. And it's really this, the more you encourage some sort of registration process, again, it goes back to expectations. The more you as an event host, you know what to expect. You know, we have 32 players for a smash bracket. Every single match takes, uh, every single game takes, you know, about seven minutes maximum. And then all of those are best of three. The top one is best of five. It's double elimination. So you'd start to determine, okay, with 32 people, we need this many consoles in order to get done within this amount of time. Right. And then you need to know, well, we need this many volunteers to manage this many stations. I, I, I would say for something like smash, it's important to have one person per like every one, maybe two stations. I would say maybe not, but, but I think that like you need eyes on this equipment, right? These are probably a lot of people you don't know. Um, there's chances that, uh, something's going to go wrong. You need to be able to ask for help. So your other tournament officials can help you. You need people that are in charge of managing the brackets, people that are in charge of getting the next person. So the sooner, you know, how many people are going to be at your event, the sooner, you know, what kind of equipment and volunteers and even budget you need. Cause you know, if it's a, if it's a, 16 person event, you can get a trophy like this <laughs> that uh, I won at a tournament that was in somebody's house. And uh, Kirby, he's, you know, he's, he's got his gains from quarantine. And um, this is just a, a cheap thing that somebody printed off on a 3D printer, but it's like the coolest trophy I've ever like gotten from a gaming tournament. Well, it's really the only one, uh, but it's pretty simple, you know, but if there's a hundred people participating, you're going to have more registration. And if you're charging, you're going to have the opportunity to buy a bigger prize. So the sooner, you know, those things, the better. It really goes back to expectations. Now th- this, this part right here, um, again, I want, I'm going to focus on, um, here is something that we've decided at Satellite Gaming as we consider this, we, we then start looking at, at this topic and this could be like an early discussion. And I recommend that if you're starting an event, you look at this right away. This is what we would call a private event versus a community event. 
Now, we believe that there's, there are times in our lives where we as Christians need to be ready to verbally profess what we believe about Jesus. I think there are also times where we kind of just need to shut up and just love people, right? Like people get jammed down their throats, like the, the gospel or the, the, the verbal gospel message uh, more than they'd like, you know? And I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that we're always jamming down the throats. This kind of makes it sound like we're not doing things right. But I, I think that our intention as Christians is to do a good job. But what we wanted to create was an environment where um, anybody, regardless of their faith, regardless of, you know, where they stand on any topic, they could come and enjoy and participate in this community event. So when we chose to make community events, what we mean by that is something where we would not um, verbally like proselytize, but we would share our faith through how we act and how we, um, how we pose ourselves. Um, Dylan, tell me about what doors that opened in our community and how that, um, what the school ended up saying to that and what they ended up doing and the kind of the evolution of, well, since we're a community event, not a private event where we preach at them, what did that do for us? And why, why do you think that's important to figure that out early? Yeah. So uh, I don't think there's anything wrong one way or the other. We just wanted to make sure we focused on, um, you know, serving by action uh, rather than serving by, preaching basically. Um, and that's just the way that we do it, but it did come with some, you know, benefits that the alternative path wouldn't have offered. Like partnering with the school has allowed us to use school facilities, which allows us to have larger events for free, right? (laughs) For free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is really a huge help. Um, and so, yeah, it's allowed us to have larger events, which has allowed us to um, accommodate more students and serve more. Um, so, I mean, that's really the biggest benefit. And, and because we're um, doing it with the school as a partnership, we're allowed to um, promote at the schools and uh, we were allowed to um, kind of incorporate cross school functions. So, you know, you get a kid in an after school program who's the best and everyone just knows he's the best. So why bother playing against him? Well, that whole element goes away because you're going, you're doing cross school events. So it's people you've never played against. And it's a whole you, you may be the best amongst your students. friends, but yeah. <laughs> you know, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. So and that, that to me is what I like is, is that we were able to get into the schools and promote this event because we said, yes, we are a Christian organization, but we're hosting a, again, what we call a community event. Now, when a church calls us um, and asks us to do an event for their youth group, we'll, we'll offer guest speaking like, hey, during the event, we can stop the tournament and I can share the gospel. I can share a little bit of my personal story about how video games influence my relationship with Jesus. And it's, it's super fun. So again, decide that early. It will deeply affect how you promote, um, but it is also going to affect your volunteers, um, your budget, and your your equipment in turn. Um, I think that for us, we saw some volunteers in the community that um, there, there weren't um, there were people that maybe weren't Christians that wanted to help us out. And we had to decide, is that going to be okay? Can they stack chairs? Those are, for us, it was an opportunity to, to minister to them, an opportunity to show the love of Jesus to them as our volunteers. So it was a no-brainer for us to include them. Those are things you need to decide early with you and your volunteer team. Now, um, next, I, I want to go ahead and talk about, um, as, as you determine whether it's going to be a private event or a, or a, or a community event, um, next, I want to address this. Uh, 
when we've decided what game we want to play, when we've decided if it's going to be a community or a private event, we've decided kind of what prizes we're going to get. We start looking at, okay, are we going to need to buy equipment? Are we going to borrow equipment? We're looking at our budget. Are we going to charge a registration fee? Are we not going to charge a registration fee? We really, really need to understand that um, how you manage your finances in this is super important. Um, So, I would say for us, we managed them um, under our church structure for a while. And then the church eventually said, we're managing a a lot of money. Like our events would be bringing in and taking out, you know, thousands of dollars. And it's like, this is, this is a little more than just a ministry of our church, Lake Point. This is becoming its own organization. So we started a nonprofit. Do you think, Dylan, that it is important that from the beginning, you're a nonprofit organization, or do you think that there are ways for people to do this aside from that to get started? Like, is this like, if you want to start a nonprofit, do events or, or are there some other steps before that? What do you think? Uh, no, I don't think you have to have a nonprofit to do yeah. this. I think you need to have uh, a group of people willing to help out and the gear necessary to make it run. Uh, and then a place to do it. I think those are the key components. Um, and then if it starts to become a big enough thing that, uh, you know, managing money and logistics and stuff starts to become a problem, then yeah, maybe you need to start thinking about like officializing some organization. Uh, and that would be through, you know, a nonprofit status. Um, I do, I want to just mention one thing about, uh, uh, just to encourage people um, that we, so we have a registration fee and part of that is um, like, like doing a no fee thing is great. But part of that is that the fee really creates some buy-in from the students. They've got yeah, some skin in the game. I'm glad you brought that up. And I think, yeah, I think it's a, like, it's so easy to go like, well, we just want this to be no burden to anyone. And I totally agree with that. But having some skin in the game is helpful. And also like it adds some of that legitimacy to it. Kids who are, are interested in really competing are going to expect to have to make a payment in order to yeah. win a prize. Right. Does that and affect like, the inclusiveness? What would you say to that? I, I think it can, but it doesn't have to. We've yeah. had a, like a non-written um, rule that you, you don't have to pay to play, right. but we're, you know, so you, if you, if you have trouble with it, come talk to us and we'll figure out a way to get you a sponsorship, even if it's just a sponsorship from the pocket of the organization. Yeah. Ergo, it's free, but yeah. There have been times too, where a kid's, you know, shows up early and he's like, I don't, I don't have $5. I'm like, well, you knucklehead, you've known about this for months. If you would have told me that a month ago, I would have found a way for you to make $5, right? But how about this? You help me plug in these cords. You help, you run this over to my technician. You help me set up for about 30 minutes and I'll let you in the door for free. You know, I mean, there's a cool opportunity to build relationship with there. And I think yeah. even turn the um, intimidation of a registration fee for, for some people into uh, an intentional interaction. And I think that's really cool. Um, there, there's so many different directions we could take this, Dylan. I'm really loving the logistical conversation just um hey let's get down to the nitty-gritty what is important really i I think there are a couple things that i want to say and then we'll just end with some quick tips really it's this every decision you make is going to affect your affect your equipment your volunteers and your budget in some way shape or form be thoughtful about those know what your purpose is know what your mission is so you can uh so you can form your event in a way that keeps those three things accountable to what you decided from the beginning. We don't want to spend more than this much money. We want to include this many volunteers. We don't want more than this equipment. 
then choose your games wisely. Make every decision wisely. Um, the next thing is balance legitimacy and uh, and inclusiveness. Be legitimate, but be inclusive. And the other thing that I said is is decide early on. Is this a uh, what, what type of event is this? Is it a community event? Is this a private event? Is there participation? Is there spectating? Or is it educational? There's so many different things. But as you determine those things, as you land on those things, the details like what games, what tournament format will come up naturally. I think it's going to be great. If you have any questions, let us know. And I think what we're going to leave you with is, um, are there are there any, Dylan, just like last tips that you would give anyone for starting their own tournament? Like if you were to say like, I think this is the most important thing, what would you say? Or is there? Uh, yeah, I think the most important thing I think is to make sure that what you're doing is something that you're passionate about, yeah. not just the students, because um, students are going to know if you're into it or not and yeah. it will turn or your peers off right depending not. on who, what demographic right. yeah sure yeah yeah they're going to know uh, yeah so your audience is going to know whether you are actually into the thing or or if you're just being a big old faker and yeah, so you're just an entrepreneur that sees an opportunity right like <laughs> yeah so yeah. what you want to do is is really serve in an area that you're passionate passionate about to an audience that you're that is also passionate about that mm. thing i think that's like the biggest key to success really yeah. is is making sure that it's it, everyone involved is is passionate about this thing yeah i agree and my my final tip would be this is be ready to say no to really good ideas. I think, um, I think it was, you know, Steve Jobs that originally made that concept like big, I'm sure it's been said for years, but I know that he carried that mentality a lot is, you know, there might be something in front of you that is an incredible opportunity, but every decision you make is going to tax your equipment, volunteers, and budget. So if there's a good idea that you need to say no to, to spare your equipment, to not tax your volunteers, to not tax your budget, um, please consider saying no to those great things. Uh, we love you all. We wish we could talk to you in person. We wish you could see you. We wish we could see you. And uh, we're so grateful you chose to listen to this. Dylan, thanks for being a part of it. I love you, brother. And I'm looking forward to see what events you guys come up with through this. Awesome.